dad mentioned that Chris was down here painting, but Sandy was actually the one crawling on the floor painting the baseboard. So we want to give, want to give honor. Well, you said Chris, you were thinking Sandy. Now come, come winter though, we won't be mowing. We'll be getting the snow shovels out. You know, we can snow shovel the driveway. We can get in here that way. Uh, amen. You know, I was thinking about this and I, <laughs> I told Chris I'm too persuasive because we had a bunch of people showing up and I kept telling everybody, hey, listen, we don't want anybody to feel obligated. And then we had about two weeks where nobody showed up. And I didn't know I was that good of a persuasive speaker, but I am effective. But the point being is really this isn't, this isn't, it wasn't ever intended to be, okay, I'll turn myself up a little bit. I didn't want to be too loud. Um, this was never intended for us to be, uh, this is pastor's thing, this is Rodney's thing, or this is the Kincaid's thing. This is never, that was never intended. This is our thing. And so we all have a part. It's our, it's our church. It's our body. It's our building. It's our property. And we're thankful for that. Amen. And I'm so thankful that we're not, um, we had dedicated, is that better? Too loud? Too quiet? Okay. Um, we had dedicated our hearts to not be in debt. I, we've seen that and we've never done that in our church. You know that in 27 years, we've never got up and begged for money, not once. And we felt in our hearts, we did not want to go in a situation where we were going to put the church in a bad way to where we would be in, in any kind of difficulty. And so the Lord just blessed us. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I don't, I don't want to take it for granted. And for those of you who were in the gym in California, you can appreciate air conditioning. We don't want to forget that. I remember the first, the first summer we got into the new little building we had bought there, and we had a lot of people who were um, too cold, and I was not a little bit worried about that. Bigger, you can buy a jacket and wear it at church in the summer. I don't care. Uh, amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah and um, the 62nd chapter. I want to read something. The Lord, I, I have thoughts that I, you know, you, you jot down things that you're thinking about through, uh, through the course of your studies, and at least with me, and so I will... I will uh, jot down things and I've, I've been on some thought for quite some time and I expected that I would go that direction but the Lord just really put this in my heart in the last week um, something that uh, you maybe maybe you've thought about maybe you haven't certainly something that I hadn't thought about and um, it just kind of spoke to my heart so um, I want to talk to you tonight about the man with four names and uh, this just gave me some perspective, and I hope it'll bless your, your life. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 4. I stole this from Brother Man in some ways. Um, he got up and they gave him two bottles of water when we went down and were listening. He said, this is going to be a two-bottle um, message. And I figure you can look at this message as either a bottle half full or half empty. Either way you want to view that. But I only got a half of a bottle to preach on, so we'll see how it goes. Um. So Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and as the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall, call, uh, shall see thy righteousness and all the kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And thou shalt be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. And thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, 
neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hezbah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Lord, I ask you that you would help me to bring what you have put in my heart. I have nothing to offer tonight, Jesus, but your spirit does. Your spirit is here to speak to us, to challenge us, and to equip us. And Lord, we just pray that we would be receptive to that, and we give you all the glory, and everybody say amen. <clears throat> I was thinking about this, that God is a God of transformation. The, the verse, part of this verse that jumped out at me <clears throat> is this portion of scripture where he says that thou shalt be called by a new name. Now, I picked this up. It's an anointing from my father that we rename people. It's a gift and a curse. Uh, there's, <laughs> we, we intend no disrespect. It's just how it comes to our heads. And so that there's, a, there's some brothers who pastor in Chelsea, and um, their last name is Peppers. And so quickly, immediately, I begin to call them Sergeant and Doctor. Doctor being the pastor and Sergeant being his son-in-law. Um, you who shouldn't have listened to but remember the Beatles, you'll remember Sergeant Peppers, Lonely Hearts Club Band. And then uh, they do have a brother-in-law, um, well, the, at least the sergeant does, the son-in-law of the doctor, and he is Sanders, in which we've deemed the colonel. And so um, I am good about renaming people. Uh, now, we do it for what strikes our fancy and... Um, we just laugh. It's one of those things we do on the job, and, you know, it makes you chuckle and makes you remember names, frankly, that you probably would forget. But when God talks about renaming, that's not at all what God is doing. God is not frivolous in anything he does. And I don't think that God is, is um, speaking this in the book of Isaiah, nor as he does this in lives. He is not doing this um, just because he wants to give a nickname to someone or he wants to be cute in his naming, but the Lord names with purpose, and it's a reflection of something that I want to drive to tonight. God is a God of transformation. He loves to take what is nothing and transform it into something. From the beginning of creation, we see this. Out of nothingness, he gave light. He takes men and women all throughout the Old Testament who are undersized, who are too young, who are not pretty, from a bad family, and uses them for his glory, uses them to advance his kingdom. When Jesus selected the men who would become his disciples, primarily he searched on, this, on the seashores of Galilee and in the hills of north of Jerusalem, where he called common fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, passionate men, the only one who seems to be of any stature that he called, that he called to be his disciple was Judas Iscariot. He was most likely the only one with any ties directly to Jerusalem. Now, if you read in the scripture, and I, and I want to make this point because I do think it's interesting. If you read in the scripture, it's not going to tell you that, that Judas was from Jerusalem. But his last name, he is the son of of Simon Iscariot, and scholars would tell us most likely 
that this is a reference to a Jewish splinter group called the Sicarii. And this group was a group of assassins, more or less. They were those who stood against the Roman occupation. They carried small daggers, and I forget what they called them, within their waistbands, hidden. And in public events, they would wait for the Romans to be off guard and maybe pick off one at a time. They weren't full-out war, but they were ones who would attack when, when found opportunity to just stab a Roman, basically. That's what they were looking at. And this was a direct group within Jerusalem that was operating. It is interesting that, that this is the, the tag that is attached to Judas's name because it is not his father's name. We'll get into this in a second as far as that is common, but he could have been Judas bar Simon, which is a, been a common way for them to say Judas, the son of Simon. But he is the son of Simon, Iscariot, attaching him to this sect, likely. Some conjecture here, but it appears to be that way. When you think about it, the only disciple with significant ties to the religious hub of Jerusalem is the one who betrays Christ. I think that what we are seeing and what we will continue to see, and this is a side note, quick rabbit trail. I think what we're going to continue to see is the people who have an issue with the message that we are preaching, the message of the exaltation of Christ, are not going to be the heathens. It's going to be the religious epicenters who don't want to focus on Jesus and see us as a threat. That's going to be the issue. That's where we get the most pushback from those who want to focus on what you wear, from those who want to focus on whether you're baptized in the right name, for those who want to focus on a grace, or those who want to focus on the gifts. Whatever it is that they want to focus on, if Jesus is not the sinner, those are the ones who are going to give us the most difficulty, just like Judas gave Jesus the most difficulty. The one with the strongest ties to Jerusalem. I was thinking about it. Our moms look at us, and they see what others do not see. Is that true? Because you know, none of you said amen. None of your moms said amen. That would have been a perfect spot. You take an ugly child. Yeah, there's some. You take an ugly child, and its mother sees the next supermodel. Oh, yeah. You take a tone-deaf tone child, and its mother sees the next opera sensation. You take an unathletic child, and mom sees an all-star. I know this because I coached all-stars. Dad told me early on, because he had coached all-stars when we got there. He said, listen, you're going to have a problem because everybody on your team is an all-star. Not really, but they were all selected, and mom believes they all are. You take a child who runs a race down a street in Stillwater on Oklahoma State University's campus against two other children and finishes last by a mile and mom throws a picture up on Facebook with the caption, so proud of my child finished top three in Oklahoma State. Am I wrong? From the beginning, Jesus calls these men to follow him and he sees what the, what the most ridiculously biased mother cannot even imagine. Look at John chapter 2 quickly. Some of these I did not mark, so it'll take me just a second to get there. But John chapter 2 and verse 23. This 
little portion of scripture stands out to prove our point. And now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name. And when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. I'm going to pitch something at you that you're not going to be familiar with hearing. Maybe here, but elsewhere. And that is that Jesus is not looking at potential. I think this is a misunderstood concept. We look at this, well, Jesus knew what was in man. He could see the potential of man. That's kind of how this is, is pitched. I remember Furtick with all his mess that he preaches and, and what he wants to talk about. And I heard him say this audibly preaching. He said that God is not interested in changing you. When you come to be a disciple of Jesus, it's not about him changing you. It's about him making you what you already were. This is some humanistic self-help gospel, but this is not what Jesus is seeing. He is not looking at potential. He is not looking at talent. He is not seeing anything visible. Jesus is looking at what's deep in the heart of each man and seeing what he can make of nothing. That's what he's seeing. Really, when you look at what makes you usable to God, it is not your talent, it's your willingness to decline. It's your willingness to decrease. That's what God is looking for. When God, when it says that Jesus knew the hearts, he knew what was in man. Yes, certainly, if you have an ability to carry a tune, you're probably more likely for me to put a mic in your face. Just for the sake of everybody listening. But that does not make you anointed. It does not mean because you can sing that God says you're going to be a worship leader. That's not how this works. God is looking in our hearts tonight. And God is seeing, is there a willingness to be reduced in our lives? Is there a willingness to be subject to his direction? This is the only scale that God is looking upon. The key qualifier, the common denominator among his disciples was not their professions. It was not their families. It was not their ancestry. The common willingness, or common factor was their willingness to follow him. This was the precursor. This was the determining factor. In fact, when some would come to him and say, what must I do? He would say, follow me. Well, you can't follow him and follow your own direction. You cannot follow him and be about your own business. Pastors preach for a year and a half about the rabbi on and off since we have gotten here. And you cannot have him as a rabbi and you as a rabbi. You cannot have him as a rabbi and anyone else as a rabbi. You can't follow. The rabbi meant that you were taking everything he said. You were only concerned with his vision and his work and his purpose. So to be his disciple, it literally means the emptying of myself and the willingness to decrease. 
When you are hurt, when you are bothered, when you are frustrated in church, it is your pride that is in the way. It is your pride that is telling you, this shouldn't happen to me. It should be my turn. I should be doing this or, or it's not fair. All of those things are pride because if it's about you, then it's not about him. I catch this in myself at times when we get offended. You know what is offended in you every time? Whether it's by your husband, by your child, by your friend, or by your pastors. What is offended in you is your pride. It's always your pride. Because it's about me. And Jesus can't use that. He will not use that. He will not select that. I begin to think about this because from the outset, Jesus begins to assign changes to the lives of every single one of the men that followed him. I'm not going to turn to every one of these locations, but in Mark chapter 3 and verse 17, starting down to the 19th verse, Jesus at the very beginning looks at James and John and calls them Boanerges, a Hebrew term meaning sons of thunder. Now, we have supposed, and I would probably lump myself into this, I'm not suggesting that they couldn't have been, but we have always supposed that the reason why that Jesus would call them the sons of thunder is because they must have been very boisterous. And that may very well be true. But if we think about it in the terms of our Lord, He is often speaking things that are not as though they are. I'm trying to present to you that I am thankful that what God wants to do in me does not have to be present in my character. How many look at your character and say, well, I hope he's not too dependent on my character. I hope he's not too dependent on my good, good nature, on my qualities, on my skills. Because when I begin to evaluate and see myself, I'm not seeing all the good there. In fact, the longer I go in this, I kind of feel more and more like the Apostle Paul who said, there is nothing good in me save Christ. So when we hear sons of thunder, well, James and John must have been just absolutely, you know, just masculinity pouring over them. I believe that. I believe that God, all of the men Jesus chose were toxically masculine. I believe that. But I, I also have to accept the possibility that Jesus was speaking about what they were going to be, not about what they were. Because oftentimes what we are is what is getting in the way of what he wants us to be. It's often our biggest threat. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 15... Simon the Canaanite, and I could talk about this for some time. Many believe now that this was mistranslated, not that he was a Canaanite. Jerome translated this to say Simon the Canaanite, but there is a word very similar that, it, that uh, is in the Hebrew that is the word for zealot, which goes on to say, Luke chapter 6 and verse 15, actually says that Jesus called him the zealotas. A Greek term just to describe a man filled with passion for a cause. I don't know if you think about this. What, what was the nationality of the disciples of Jesus? They were all Jews. They were all Hebrew. But now Jesus begins to call them by names 
that are Greek. Do you know they hate the Gentiles? I watched a thing currently on YouTube the other day about a sect of Jews that have moved to Guatemala. Um, Lathavor, I think was their name. Lathavor. And it's an absolute extreme sect, but they are still preaching this. It would be better for their children to be dead than to be a part of the Goy. And the Goy is Gentiles. They hate the Gentiles, yet Jesus begins to call them by names that are not Hebrew. Is it just because he wants to play games with people? Is it just because he wants to irritate the Jewish hierarchy? I, I, don't, I don't think that's it. I think there's something greater going on. Let's look down. Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Jesus is not interested in the Levitical hierarchy. He's going to come after the order of Melchizedek. He's not coming in the order of the priesthood that, that now the Jews have set up, they have bought and sold. He's not coming in that way. And so frankly, he's not worried about somebody being named Levi, which attaches them to some priestly order. But now he's going to call Levi Matatias. Another Greek name, which I believe, now I don't know that this bears totally out, but it sure looks a lot like Mathetes, which is disciple. But regardless, he takes Levi's name and he transforms Levi's name and he becomes Matthew, a Greek name. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3. Judas, not Iscariot, he is called by two names. Levius, which is courageous, and Thaddeus, which is large-hearted. He actually is a man of three names. Trinomia is what I believe it was Jerome called him. A man with three names. But the names that he is being assigned, they're not Hebrew names. They are Greek names. John chapter 11 and verse 16. Thomas, which means twin. They call him Didymus, a Greek term for twin. And of course Judas, who is called Iscariot, or the assassin, is another Greek term that is being, being used to define who Judas is. All of these men, we don't have the record of whether Bartholomew was called Bart, or Alpheus was called Alf, but we understand that really of, of all the people that... that Jesus is dealing with all of those disciples that we have any kind of information on he has renamed all of them the only ones we don't know are renamed are the ones that we really know nothing about I'm going to assume that Jesus began to call all of them by different names speaking to them about what they were going to be not about who they were but I want to focus on the man with four names the obvious man who we left out here, and, and most of you probably are already thinking about this, Simon Barjona. Simon means a hearer, one who's listening. It's a shortened version of Simeon. We see the priest and the temple and dedication of our Lord, Simeon, who's longing for the presence. But Simon is a fisherman. Simon Barjona, he, his 
Bar means son of, and Jonah would be his father. So he is defined by not only the attributes, the characteristics of his father, but by the livelihood of his father. Everything about Simon Bar-Jonah is about his family and about his business. Simon, the son of Jonah. But Simon would always only be Simon. But in John chapter 1, I'm not sure that many of you would have recognized this because I don't honestly remember that I thought of this previous to the last week. In John chapter 1 and verse 41, you'll all be very familiar with Matthew 16, which we will go to in a minute. John chapter 1 and verse 41. He first, speaking of Andrew, he first findeth his own brother Simon. And saith unto him, we have found Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas which by interpretation is a stone. The very first time that Jesus laid eyes on Simon, he redefined his name, the exact same thing that he had done with James and John. And he says, your name is Simon. You are known as the son of Jonah, but I am going to call you Cephas. What is Cephas? Cephas is a Hebrew name that means a stone or a rock. Everybody remembers Simon Peter. But I think it's important to remember Cephas first. Cephas is the beginning of the change. Cephas is the Hebrew or Aramaic term for a stone. It is the very outset that Jesus says, I'm making a stone of you among my disciples. And this is something that's got to transpire within Simon's life. He, before he becomes Peter, he becomes Cephas. Now, you could say, well, you know, Rodney, I, I don't know. It just seems like maybe that was just the, the Hebrew name. No, it directly says, I don't believe that the words of the Lord are minced and mean nothing. It directly says he does not call him Peter. He calls him Cephas. I will get to why I believe that is true in a second, but I want to look at Matthew chapter 16. Now this passage of scripture we all know really well. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15. When he asked them, who do men say that I am? And then he looks at his disciples and he says unto them, but who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered. Now listen, when it says Simon Peter, the same as the the verse we just read in John 1. They are writing this post-happening because this is what he becomes, but this is not currently what he is. He is Cephas, is who he is when he begins to speak here. He's not Simon Peter, he's Cephas. Simon Bar-Jonah, who has become a rock. He's a stone. He is one of the inner circle. He is He and the sons of thunder are being taken to the Mount of Transfiguration. He and the sons of thunder are being drawn to deeper prayer. He is on the inner working and Jesus sees him and says, I need you to be a rock within my 
church, within my disciple group. But I believe that's what he says here that changes his name further. And Simon Peter answered and said, Cephas answered and said, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Petros, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus now takes Simon Barjona, who has been transformed into Cephas. By the way, if I'm a fisherman, I, on the water, it is my job to float. I don't want my nickname being a rock. This is not about Peter and who he is. This is about who Jesus is making him. And I believe there's a significance here. Because now Cephas is called Peter. I believe that Cephas is the attachment to the Jewish system. But when Simon Barjona, Cephas, stands up and says, Thou art the Christ. This is the declaration that is going to go beyond the Jews. And it's going to go from Judea to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And so Jesus looks at him and says, Listen, you have been this, but now you are Petros. I'm going to give you a Greek name because you're not just going to be Cephas, a stone to the Jews, but you are going to be Petros, a rock to the Gentiles. This hasn't happened yet, obviously. He declares Christ as the rock to the Gentiles. But he's just revealing, when he calls him Peter, he's just revealing what, what he's going to do in the, in the book of Acts where Cornelius calls unto him a Gentile and he sends unto him and he opens the door of salvation and he opens the door of the gospel to the Gentile nations. We also know that Peter started off working within the church of Jerusalem for probably maybe the first 15 years of his ministry. But then, later on, he leaves the church of Jerusalem and primarily and only goes out and ministers among the churches of the Gentiles, just as Paul was doing, and the gospel was being spread. Now let me talk to you about your identity. Simon Barjona could have searched the rest of his life and he never would have discovered Cephas. He could have gone to the best of psychologists. He could have visited the best of psychiatrists in order to find his inner self. And he never would have discovered Peter. We have all these kids today that are confused about who they are. So they send them to these different medical geniuses to try to define for them and help them come to an understanding. And this is exactly the problem because we will never know who it is that we have been destined or designed to be in this world. 
It's not in you, is what I'm saying. I disagree with verdict 100%. It is not in you. What is going to happen in you is the result of what Jesus places in you. It's not a result of who you are. It's not a result of your goodness. It's not a result of your heritage. It's not a result of a perfect life. It's not because you grew up and did everything the right way. There are many here who are evidence of that. The work that Jesus is going to do in you is a result of His Spirit planting something in you that is not there, that He is beginning in you and working in you and making in you. But it is not you. It's not about you. And you can search all over to try to find your identity. You can try to find your identity in your spouse. All you young married couples and those who are looking to get married, you can try to find your identity in your spouse. I love my children dearly, and I, I can try to find my identity in my children. I can try to find my identity in my job and being successful there. I could try to find my identity in the church and trying to, to fulfill something here and maybe be a pastor and somebody important. I can try to find my identity in all that this world has to offer, but I will never know, I will never find what it is that Jesus calls me until he calls me and I follow. I believe that when Jesus calls, he is calling with a new name. He wants you to leave the stuff there. I remember a thought I had a long time ago, a long, long time ago. I remember saying something along the lines of when you come to the cross, you have a baggage, you have all kinds of stuff you've been bringing, you have your sins, you have your failures, you have your faults, you have your hurts, and you bring all of those to the cross. But when we walk and move beyond the cross and into Christ, we leave every bit of that behind us. Forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to tell you tonight that it is not about what you possess. There are times where it absolutely is about what it's, what's in your hand. And God will say that to Moses, look at what's in your hand. I believe this is true, but we're talking about what God wants to make you. It's not about you. Say, well, I don't have that ability. And, and maybe somebody spoke over your life and said, you'll never be this. But listen, Jesus is not looking at what men see. And this works both ways. Because we can come in and we can look the part. We can sound the part. We can act the part. And we can be vile. We can be full of gall. We can be full of bitterness. We can be full of, of perversion and destruction. And nobody knows. But we can also come to the Lord empty and broken with nothing to offer, falling on our faces and saying, Lord, if you'll have me, whatever it is you want to do with my life, I, I, just, I just want to follow you. I just want to be what you want me to be. I think this is true for most everybody here tonight. God doesn't need your talent. God does not need your ability. In fact, he is not interested in your ability. Remember several Weeks ago, months ago, when we were in the other place, I, I preached it. It's like we come with the, the little kids who've gone to the wrestling tournament and, and they give out 800 medals and everybody's got a medal. And they walk in and, oh, look at my medal, look at my medal, look at me. And it's cute as a little kid, it's not cute in the church. It's not cute as adults. Look, well, I got something. I, 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 I can do this and, and look at me. And Jesus is like, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Go sell all you have. 
You're going to have to get rid of everything you've got. You can't bring anything to the table. You have nothing to offer. Nothing. Think about that for a moment. You have nothing to offer. You're not bringing a little bit of good into this thing. You are coming with nothing. And we are saying, Lord, I'm your servant. I do not believe that when Andrew says, listen, Simon, you've got to come see this guy. We have found the Messiah. Simon comes strolling up there and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Cephas. Do you think Peter understood what was coming? Do you think Simon Bar-Jonah realized what he would be in the church? Oh no. He didn't say, I'm going to be a preacher. I'm going to get up in front of thousands of people and preach. I just heard somebody prophesy over somebody else. The other. Why is it always the prophecy you're going to get up and preach in front of thousands of people and healings are going to take place and it's going to be a miraculous thing? Why doesn't anybody ever prophesy the Philip anointing? You've been in a big church and God's going to send you out to one guy. You don't ever hear that anointing. Never hear that prophecy given over anybody. Church would be empty. It wouldn't be anybody standing in the prophecy line. I don't think Simon had a clue of what he would be. I know for certain he didn't know who Peter was. Simon didn't know who Peter was. He didn't have this inner guy in there. He didn't have a, a gender identity crisis that at some point he found out who he was. No, no. He had no clue. And he struggled to get out of the way and he struggled to find the purpose of the Lord in his life. But I want to tell you tonight, Cephas and Peter are not possible because it's in Simon. But Cephas is possible because Simon has left all to follow Jesus. And Peter is what happens when you see Jesus for who he is. I think there's a transformation sometimes in our lives. Maybe the name I had, the name meaning that which describes who I was before I came to Christ, which was not loud, which was quiet, which was intimidated to get up and speak, and certainly never wanted to hold a mic, never wanted to preach, and that was not what I wanted to do. And then that name was changed when I really surrendered to the Lord I, and there was a need. And, okay, Lord, well, I'll really do that. And I, I think that the Lord has, has called me a few names in between. I think that the Lord has moved in my heart and kind of changed the direction of me. Not because I'm becoming better, but hopefully because I'm becoming less. That he is saying, okay, Rodney, listen, I know you've been that, but I got some things I want to call you into. And if you'll just deny yourself, if you'll go down so that I can come up, then I can use you where I want you to be used. Don't worry about the glory because it's not yours anyway. He's not looking at your talent. He's not looking at your pedigree. He's not looking at your potential. Jesus is only interested in the heart that he can transform. And I'm going to ask you to do something right now where you sit. I want every heart that is hungry 
to follow Jesus, to follow Christ. I just want you to close your eyes right now, and I just want you to say to the Lord, you can say it openly or you can say it within your own heart. I just want you to say, Lord, what is it you're calling me? I'm approaching you right now, God. I stand in front of you right now, Jesus. My eyes are beholding you. There is a name that, I, that I've been called, a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. It's a new name. It's a new description of my life. But now I'm beholding you just as Cephas saw you in a grander way. I'm seeing you, Lord, in a greater light. What are you calling me now? Hear his voice. What is he calling you into? What is he drawing out of your emptiness and saying, no, I want you to move in this way? Now I want you to listen to me. Simon, now Peter, has more than one name that he's called. He's called Simon Barjona. He's called Cephas. He's called Peter. But just a few verses down, in the 22nd, chapter, or 22nd verse of this exact same chapter, he is newly redefined, speaking with confidence of his anointing and what he has become and the transformation that's happening in his life, Jesus begins to talk about the betrayal that's going to happen and that he is going to be crucified. And Peter, not Simon, not Cephas, Peter, the guy who's just had the great revelation, the guy who has the result of his clarity of seeing who Jesus is, his name has been changed Peter now takes Jesus aside and says, listen, what you just said, let me correct you. Your words, eh. And now Jesus gives him another name. Jesus looks, the scripture says in the 22nd verse, go ahead and put that up there so you can see it, Matthew 16, 22. Jesus looks at him and says to Peter, says he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. I don't mind being called Simon. I don't mind being called Cephas. I appreciate being called Peter, but I don't want to be called Satan. Why? Why is there a problem? Why is this now become the moniker of his life because Jesus spells it out very clearly. He says, you are not mindful of the things of God. So now the warning goes to us. You can have a new name. You can be in this transformation process in which Jesus is in the process of ministering into your heart and into your life. He is changing you from one glory to another glory. But the moment that you stop hearing his word, and the moment where you begin to take his word and say, this is not applicable anymore, 
when you begin to amend it, when you begin to transform it, when you begin to change it. Jesus has a new name for you. We're not secure by our transformation. We're, we're not beyond getting off when we're following Jesus. Come on, somebody, say amen. We're not beyond thinking things that are absolutely wrong when we have been changed. And this is vitally important. Jesus makes the point that we must all hear. You are mindful of the things of men, but not of the things of God. What allows Peter to become Peter, what transforms Simon to Cephas, to Peter, is his willingness to follow and to decline. What changes Peter to Satan is his willingness to stand in the face of God and dare question his word. And this is the warning for our lives. You are natural and you think carnally. It is what we are destined to. You think about your life. You think about your kids. You think about your spouse. And the word of the Lord goes out and you feel the right to refuse it because you don't believe it applies to you. This is how we transform from Peter and we are called Satan. And so that willingness to refuse, to reject, or to repurpose is why Jesus speaks that. So now I'm done. And I want you to do similarly to what I just asked you to do a minute ago. I want you to ask the Lord, are there areas in my heart, I'm not suggesting there are or aren't, I'm not your God. I don't know what's in your heart, but the Lord does. I believe fully in all that I've said tonight. The intention of what I'm saying is that you would realize that Jesus wants to change you. He wants to use you. He wants to put within you his purpose, his kingdom, his glory. And for almost everybody here, probably everybody here, we are walking and trying to function within that. But I want you to ask the Lord, with that same singleness of focus, Jesus, is there something that you're trying to tell me that I'm not hearing? Is there something that you're trying to do in my life? Is there something you're trying to speak into my life? Am I rejecting your word because I don't like where it's hitting me? I think it's a question that we should take a moment and ponder. And if it is there, then the answer is that we say, Lord, I'm surrendering this to you. I'm letting go of this. I want the name that you have called me to be. That's what I want for my life. That's the purpose I want for my life. Would you take a moment and just examine your heart? As pastor comes tonight.